This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing endoscopic interventions for the treatment of obesity with Dr. Jennifer Kolb of the VA Greater Los Angeles Healthcare System and the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. We'll be discussing a landmark randomized controlled trial that was published in The Lancet in the summer of 2022 entitled Endoscopic Sleeve Gastroplasty for Treatment of Class 1 and 2 Obesity, the Merit Trial. Welcome back, Dr. Kolb, and let's start by just talking about why this is such an important topic. Hi, great to be here. This is really an important study because one of the biggest issues we now face in healthcare is the rising obesity rates. Obesity really now affects almost half the individuals older than 20 years old in the United States. This is a chronic disease. It really contributes to all the comorbidities, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and many of cancers, including GI cancers. And even though bariatric surgery has really been around for a while, it hasn't even reached a fraction of the patients who might benefit from an intervention. And so we have uh, new approaches, less sort of minimally invasive endoscopic approaches that may change the whole paradigm of obesity management in the United States. That's really the key. This is an epidemic problem. We know it is causes severe comorbidities, and now we're finally getting some effective interventions, and that's why this trial is so important. It's the first randomized study to demonstrate the efficacy of endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty. And I know you do this procedure. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about what the procedure does and then how this particular study was designed to assess its efficacy? Sure. So ESG, endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty, is a procedure that's performed with an upper scope and a suturing device. This endoscopic suturing device is sort of passed the same way. And once you're in the stomach, the goal is to mimic a laparoscopic sleeve, but from the inside. So you can start to place um, sutures, full thickness suturing, starting from the antrum incisora and coming all the way back to the GE junction. And by placing these sutures in a U-shaped pattern, you are basically shortening and tightening the stomach. And so you're trying to mimic a surgical sleeve. And so this can have impacts on sort of just making the stomach smaller and having, you know, more early satiety. And there's also thought to be some changes by altering gastric motility. This procedure is done with a device that was FDA approved for endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty just last year for patients with a BMI 30 to 50. And it's it's really done throughout the world. And it's, you know, there's not, there's variations in the technique, but the principles are similar. So this is the first well-designed RCT to demonstrate its efficacy. Can you tell us a little bit more about the study? Absolutely. It's a really a great, well-designed study. Lots and lots of observational data leading up to this, but here we're showing in a randomized fashion, we're able to see two different groups who were followed for a year. So patients randomized to get the sleeve versus lifestyle intervention 
alone and and those who did have the ESG were also going through the same lifestyle uh, modification plan. And they followed them for a year and looked at endpoints like excess weight loss, total body weight loss, how many were able to achieve that. And then at one year, they did allow a crossover. So people who were in the lifestyle modification arm alone and didn't achieve their goal were able to then get the ESG and followed for another year. And that's a key point, that you don't just do the intervention alone. You do work with a team, and the patients who get the endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty still get interventions with a dietitian and other team members about modifying their diet and getting more exercise. The primary endpoint was excess body weight loss, which is basically saying how much weight they lost in order to get to an ideal BMI of 25. So what were the results? The results were quite striking. So in the ESG group, mean excess weight loss was 49% compared to 3.2% in the control group. Total body weight loss, also much higher ESG group compared to control, 12.6% versus 0.8%. And then they also, you know, they they did a lot of different analyses, really well done. Um, Look at this as well from a modified intention to treat analysis that adjusted for the various comorbidities. And just really across the board in all the endpoints, it was a really striking difference where the lifestyle group had minimal impact and the ESG group really had a significant weight loss. And, and just to provide our listeners with some numbers that they may equate with the patients that they see, the patients in this study had a mean weight of about 216 pounds, and that for their total weight loss, if they were in the endoscopic intervention group, they were losing about 27 pounds. So that's a, a drop from around... 216 down to around 190 versus only two pounds in the lifestyle modification group. But as you had emphasized, you know, in terms of contrasting this with other studies, the percentage excess weight loss is really the intervention that gets looked at. Let's talk about your own practice. You actually do this procedure. What do you do in your own practice for obese patients in terms of managing them? What are the advantages of doing this versus bariatric surgery? You know, how do you approach it? Yeah, so I work in the VA system that has a really great multidisciplinary group called the MOVE program, but I think pretty much anyone who's doing these procedures is working with a team. This needs to have a multidisciplinary approach with dietitians, with bariatric surgeons, with psychological evaluations, and really any patient who's considering some sort of an obesity intervention should go through a comprehensive evaluation to make sure that they're sort of a candidate and eligible. And then the decision about going to surgery versus endoscopy has to do a little bit with tolerating the procedure. So there are some patients who maybe need to lose, you know, 30 to 40 pounds so that maybe they can get to things like a knee replacement or a hernia repair. And maybe the surgeons won't do the procedure until they are able to lose a little weight. So for those folks, an endoscopic intervention can be a great option. So it can be a bridge to other surgeries. And then I really talk to the patient, you know, what what are your priorities? And there may be people who just prefer a less invasive option. But if somebody's really looking for, you know, a massive amount of weight loss and 
wants that you know they're young and and they don't mind or aren't sort of afraid of something permanent then, then there are definitely people who still should go to surgery and so part of it is really figuring out the patient's goals and it's really a great thing that we can now offer patients and and I also tell them that this is not permanent I'm not cutting anything hopefully it's durable and long lasting but if for whatever reason something happens, you know, we can always go back in and, you know, remove sutures if needed. And that is one of the great advantages here. This is a potentially reversible intervention. And the big drawback right now is that it's not widely covered by insurance, although that's gradually improving. And I think it's incumbent upon us as gastroenterologists to realize, you know, More and more advanced endoscopists are getting trained in this, and management of obesity is probably going to become a very important part of our practice in the relatively near future. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, also surgeons are are learning to do ESG, and, and then they can offer patients sort of both options. So I think this this study really helps. One other thing I did want to point out is that if you look at sort of the curves at two years, you can see that by the end, anyone who had the ESG uh, was able to achieve some, you know, meaningful change. But the people in the lifestyle group alone didn't really get there. And so for me, I always think that, oh, they should really go through this intensive lifestyle intervention phase first, and maybe they have to fail it or demonstrate that. But I think this really shows us that we may have to change that pathway and just be more aggressive upfront if we really want to see meaningful results. And of course, lots of great synergy with medications. I totally agree with that. When we look at the data, I think it's become more and more apparent that except for the rare individual who totally changes their lifestyle, that lifestyle modifications don't lead to sustained weight loss. And bariatric surgery, endoscopic sleeve gastroplasty, and the newer GLP-1 agents like semaglutide are really the only things that lead to sustained weight loss. Now that we have those, we may want to be more aggressive about not pushing people through a lot of lifestyle intervention that data shows isn't really very effective. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, and we look forward to having you back next time. Great. Thanks so much. 